What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Be Shafe Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer, alongside you here, rocking on another episode, talking some Cardinals baseball. A little bit of a different week for the Cardinals, given that there are two off days sandwiched, or I should say sandwiching, the series against the Cleveland Indians, just two games up in Cleveland before the Cardinals return back home to Bush Stadium this coming weekend. But this week, which will feature plenty of the American League Central as the Cardinals take on Cleveland, and then it'll be the Minnesota Twins in town Friday, Saturday, Sunday as the trade deadline approaches and then reaches its end point over the weekend. I believe it's July 30th this year because of the way the days fall on the weekend. So it'll be Friday for the MLB trade deadline. So the Cardinals will get to see plenty of the AL Central. These first two games against the Indians, it's designated hitter territory because of the American League rules. Of course, next year it'll all be Universal DH, and so we'll probably have that situation, no matter who the Cardinals are facing. But it's still a novelty in 2021, so Cardinals with the DH out there in Cleveland. And on Tuesday, July 27th, the Cardinals get the win behind a strong start by Adam Wainwright. Timely hitting insurance for the offense late in this game to be able to push them over the edge and a 4-2 to victory over the Indians and that's kind of the recipe, right? We saw it again tonight. We've talked about recently on B-Shape Daily how the Cardinals are committed to this recipe, how earlier in the season we saw a lot of these kinds of games where, sure, four runs, that doesn't knock anybody's socks off, but four runs can often be enough when you get the kind of starting pitching that the Cardinals pretty frequently did earlier in the year when they were first place in the NL Central, and then you got what you needed from the bullpen thereafter. That's kind of the formula for the St. Louis Cardinals, and we're seeing it more and more frequently now, I feel like, in the second half of the season following the All-Star break, that the Cardinals are able to dial into their game. The offense, in conjunction, it's aligned with what the pitching is able to do on a night-to-night basis in a way that allows the Cardinals to win more ballgames. But can we be totally honest here? It was once again the Harrison Bader show on Tuesday night. Another game in which the Cardinals carried in part by the efforts of their center fielder who was just coming into his own in ways that I don't know if anybody imagined he would be able to do earlier this season when he offensively was kind of muddling along in a fashion similar to how he had performed in previous years. Again, we talked about this on the last podcast how Harrison Bader, before coming back from the injured list a second time on July 1st, he'd been hitting in the 2-0 range, OPS in the low to mid-700s. Pretty sure he was low 700s, so it wasn't like he was having a spectacular season offensively at that point, but the, the sample size was so small because he had been dealing with these injuries, multiple different injuries so far this season, and really the one that rolled up his ribs and caused him to miss the month of June was pretty fluky. You know, had that diving play coming in on a ball in center field, doesn't quite make the catch, and then happens to roll his midsection over the baseball. I just cannot imagine 
a much more painful injury over the course of play than the one Bader had to sustain there, fracturing a rib. I'll, I'll believe that. I mean, it didn't. I remember watching it and thinking, man, once you got a full scope of what happened in that play, that's just brutal. Diving like a full, imagine a full extension effort for a guy who, I don't know what Bader weighs, but probably 220. I see him listed here on Baseball Reference at 210. He's a muscular guy, and so that's why I said 220. Not all that tall, six foot. Who am I to talk at 5'7"? But, you know, Bader is absolutely built and has the full weight of his body crashing onto a spherical hard baseball with his ribs taking the brunt of that force. Couldn't have been comfortable. Probably not a surprise that he missed the amount of time that he did. But once Harrison Bader had returned, there's no question he brought his bat with him. Talked about this previously. Uh, an OPS of 1030, so 1030 since returning, and that's for the month of July, his numbers. But that's coming into tonight. Time to update it again because Bader once again was a central figure in the success of the Cardinals offense, scoring two runs, going three for four, a homer, two doubles, obviously a, a run batted in on the solo shot. Batting average now up to 301 for the season, OPS above 900 at 916. He just continues to rake. He hits the ball hard. He puts the ball in play. He's not striking out, didn't strike out tonight. I mean, doing everything offensively, continuing to contribute defensively as he's always going to do, that's just something that's not going to slump for Harrison Bader. He'll have a play here or there, I'm sure, and, and has over the course of a season or his career where it, it doesn't look the way he's accustomed to it looking for him in the field. But pretty darn often, Bader's going to come through and give you that sterling effort defensively. He's going to get the right jump. He's going to make the right play. But now he's adding offense to that. And again, tonight in the batting order for the Cardinals, he was number seven. And you haven't heard me as somebody on the B-Shape Daily Podcast that is getting on Mike Schilt, talking about the need to move Harrison Bader up in the lineup, because I don't think they need to do that. And I think eventually Mike Schilt's probably going to do that. But when the Cardinals are winning and the offense is at least kind of showing life on a day-to-day -day basis, I don't think Schilt wants to mess with something if it's working. And you think, okay, could he be a leadoff guy? Because Harrison Bader coming into tonight, had an on-base percentage for the month of July of 421. Obviously, getting on base three out of four times tonight is going to increase that number. For the year, he was at 358, and again, that number has gone up. And so you could say, well, could Harrison be a leadoff guy for the Cardinals? Well, sure, but Dylan Carlson has started to contribute in his own way of late, and tonight he goes one for four, and he also draws a walk, and he provides an insurance run for the Cardinals late in this game. Paul DeYoung tacks on from the nine hole. I love getting DeYoung into a spot in the order where he doesn't feel the weight of the world on his shoulders. And with regard to Bader, I'm not sure that he would. I'm not, I'm not saying that if you move Bader up in the lineup that he would suddenly crumble under that pressure. I don't think that's the case. I just think why mess with a good thing? Harrison Bader looks really good right now. And if the offense is still flowing... You've got Carlson where you want him if he can eventually evolve into that leadoff hitter. That I mean, that's where they're putting him. But if he can really do it on a day-to-day -day basis, week-to-week -week basis, continue to attack that role and not endure very many long-term slumps, 
then Bader, or pardon me, then Dylan Carlson can stick there long term. I think long term the Cardinals would love to see Carlson batting in the top two spots in the lineup, but his numbers have to justify that. Of late, they're beginning to do so a little bit more. Mentioned on base twice for him tonight. Goldschmidt in that number two hole, one for five tonight, had a couple of strikeouts, has cooled off a little bit from where he was, but he's obviously going to be a center of the lineup kind of guy. Same with Nolan Arenado, who reached base via walk tonight, over three otherwise. His OPS still at 813, having a fine season. Tyler O'Neill, we've talked about as he goes along, the numbers starting to decrease a little bit, 845. I think Tyler O'Neill, in a perfect world, He's the number five batter in a competitive lineup. And I know his numbers, 845 OPS. He's got the home run, 17 on the season, over four tonight with a couple of strikeouts. He's been the primary cleanup hitter for the Cardinals of late. I think he ultimately fits better in a lineup, a contending lineup, as the number five guy. If you have somebody in front of him that's OPSing in the mid-850s as well. It's where I was after Joey Gallo for a while earlier this season, if you recall, in the trade market. But the reality is, with Harrison Bader hitting the way he's hitting, that's an outfield spot. Tyler's an outfield spot. Dylan Carlson's an outfield spot. This Cardinals team, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. I know we're a lot of baseball purists, fans of the NL game, the style of play of the National League. I've seen enough double switching that I just don't care about it anymore. And I see a, an opportunity for the Cardinals to build a roster that is more conducive to success with the DH in play. I think that it would open a world of opportunity for John Mose Lock and Company over the offseason to say, we just want to get another impact bat in this lineup, and it doesn't really matter where they play in the field because we're going to have the DH. And then imagine if Nolan Gorman can catch on as an everyday second baseman and then with a ninth batter in the lineup, you have Tommy Edmond who can move around instead of having to anoint him as the everyday second baseman, which, based on his offensive production this year, hasn't exactly worked out. You can exploit the matchups in that case. You can play Edmond somewhere on the field, whether it's at second base, whether it's in the outfield. Based on his athleticism, I wouldn't think you'd stash him at DH very often. But you'd have him in the lineup every time a lefty is on the hill for the opposition. And then you can pick and choose your spots when the Cardinals face a right-handed pitcher. I just think there are so many ways that the Cardinals could align their lineup, their batting order, and the way they figured this out that would be beneficial based on having a universal DH. And it's coming next year. We know the Cardinals have money coming off the books as well at the end of the 2021 season. And so there could be some roster flexibility. This is just a read looking into the future, but I have some faith that John Mozeliak, Mike Gersh, and company are going to be able to execute an off-season plan that puts the Cardinals in position for success moving into 2022 and beyond. And that, to me, is going to involve the acquisition of an impact bat offensively. Whether they decide that needs to happen on the middle infield or whether they can just sit back and decide that the best deal available, whether it's free agent, a trade, whatever the case might be, positionally it doesn't matter because we can lean on that DH and, and not necessarily box a guy like Gorman who continues to hit well at AAA into that DH role before he ever gets here. Give him a position, consider him at second base, make, him, make that his goal for the offseason to say, you can make this club out of spring 
and you can be an asset to us, in particular, A, if the bat is working well, which the bat's always going to play. But there's more incentive, I think, to maybe rush him along if the bat's there, and you can say, we can put you at second base, because that feels more like the San Diego Padres. That feels more like the Los Angeles Dodgers and the way those teams win, is to say, yep, this guy's a bat, this guy's a player. We can put him somewhere. Where can we? And they figure it out. The Cardinals need to have a little bit more of that figure it out to them rather than saying, well, and again, the Colton Wong departure was based on money and uncertainty with the way the the gate revenue would be in 2021 and whether the Cardinals financially would want to go that route. I don't need to get into all that tonight. I, I've voiced my disagreement with letting Colton Wong walk. The Cardinals didn't need to do that, and then ultimately he's gone to their, their chief rival for the NL Central this season, the, the first-place club in the Milwaukee Brewers, and has made them a better team because of his presence. And so I, I called that one from the start, and I was correct. It is what it is at this point, though. But looking forward, I think Nolan Gorman, it's just one of those deals where if the Cardinals want to be the best versions of themselves that they can be, 2022 Nolan Gorman, if he continues to look the way he's looked offensively, not only at Springfield but since his promotion to Memphis, I think Gorman can be a part of that. Second base should be part of his arsenal, and then you kind of figure it out from there. It was understandable and expected that Gorman would have a little bit of an adjustment period with Memphis, but... In closing in on 100 plate appearances there, starting to come around. The slug is 422, 724 OPS, doesn't blow you away. But the dude is about six years younger than the average competition at AAA. He's going to be a player. And I think they should just continue to give him opportunities to learn other positions. Make him flexible. Because we've seen on championship caliber teams, the guys that are flexible and they can find their way into the lineup in multiple ways and they've got a manager that, that that's willing to put them into those positions, those teams are successful. And so for the Cardinals, go get a bat this offseason. It doesn't matter where you play them. And that's what I, the, the conversation that I've kind of delved into here was it, I started it by thinking Joey Gallo and how, yeah, he doesn't really fit right now at the trade deadline for the Cardinals if you have three outfielders humming the way the Cardinals do. But then again, Tyler O'Neill definitely has trailed off a little bit of late. And so ultimately, I think looking ahead to 2022, if you've got a Tyler O'Neill batting fifth and everything else kind of stays the same, Carlson, Goldschmidt, Arenado, insert cleanup hitter here, Tyler O'Neill remains to be seen what it looks like for Yadier Molina. But maybe Harrison Bader is that number six hitter. Right now, he looks like a whole heck of a lot more, but I'm okay with the way Mike Schultz handled it. Said, hey, we're winning baseball games. We're, we're keeping the offense steady. It's flowing to some degree. I don't have to immediately rush him up. But I think Harrison Bader, certainly right now, performing as though you want to get him as many at-bats, as many plate appearances as possible. He's looking really good. Another great night at the plate. Talked about Paul DeYoung. This guy just continues to... His numbers are going to be there at the end of the year. He's going to hit 20 to 28 home runs. I say to 28... I think, and I recall looking at this, the preseason number on him was 25, was the over-under on homers for the season. He's going to do his darndest to get there, whether his batting average is 215 or not. I think on the home runs, he is one of the better mistake pitch hitters that you're going to find because he'll get his every year. Even if it's not his great season, if he's got you know some disappointment about the rest of his performance, 
the homers ultimately are going to come for Paul DeYoung. Can he kind of round into that complete player the way Harrison Bader is showing an ability to do right now? Paulie D at 209 for the batting average, 708 for the OPS. You know, th- there's room for improvement there, absolutely. However, if he just continues on this trajectory to the end of the season, it'll be like, well, why were we talking about Trevor Story, Trey Turner, any of those names when Paul DeYoung proves the ability to do it the way he's done really for the last month or so? You remember, he started off really, really slow, and now he's around a 900 OPS or so for the last month. A home run tonight ends up being a a huge swing in the game because it's a two-run shot that takes the Cardinals from trailing in this game to going ahead 3-2. to And then it was in the ninth inning that they were able to tack on one more against the Cleveland bullpen. 4-2 win tonight for the Cardinals. Adam Wainwright deserves all the credit in the world. Gives up a two-run shot, but otherwise is sterling as usual. Eight strikeouts for Waino. Four hits allowed. Walked a couple. Had a little bit of trouble earlier in this game with allowing the first batter he would face in an inning to reach. That's an uncharacteristic statistic for Wainwright. I believe for the first five or six he allowed to reach base across those uh, first five, six innings. The first runner of an inning. So that's not typical of Adam Wainwright. But he is as steady as they come, and the Cardinals need to be putting on the blitz as soon as possible to say, hey, Wayno, I know you you told the Athletic maybe one more year would be your maximum, and and you may retire after this year, seeing how things go. Got to find a way to get Wayno back for 2022, if you ask my opinion. Pay him the money. What and the money? That's the thing. After the illustrious career that Adam Wainwright has had. Money is not going to be the difference. He is a family man. If if he feels he's needed at home, if it's time to hang him up, that is what will drive his decision. The Cardinals should just be as supportive as they can, as on the same page as they can with Adam Wainwright, because it would be great to get him for one more year. Could Yadier Molina's status slash decision have anything to do with what Wayno decides to do remains to be seen. Of the two... I'm pretty comfortable saying the Cardinals need Wayno more than they need Yachty for 2022. Yachty still brings a ton to the table, trailing off, though, pretty significantly offensively right now. And there will come a point in time where it might benefit the Cardinals more to to be able to line up a succession plan the way they want to do at catcher than to have Yachty. And I'm not going to use the phrase overstay is welcome because he's going to be welcome for as long as he would like to be. And he, the, what he brings to the table in, in the intangible category, I think, is unparalleled. But the Cardinals are going to have a decision. Do they think Andrew Kisner is a part of their future? Kiz has come along offensively a little better as of late, and that's to be expected when you get more playing time. I think they kind of were more comfortable trading Carson Kelly in that Paul Goldschmidt deal because what they'd seen from him offensively at the big league level was like, yeah. It's fine. It's it's not very impactful, and we can probably afford to trade this guy away. We know Yachty's going to be around. And so that's the way they treated it for Kelly. They got their guy on Goldschmidt. I'm not deriding that decision in any way, shape, or form. However, we've seen Carson Kelly when healthy. He's had some injuries he's dealt with. But when healthy, he's been a really good contributor offensively. Is He had a really strong season at the plate in 2019, OPSing 826, hitting 18 home runs in just 365 plate appearances. And then this year he's at an 845 OPS in limited sample because he's had some injuries, as I mentioned. I believe he might even currently be on 
the IL, but an 845 OPS has had good numbers and been a contributor for obviously a team in Arizona that's going the wrong direction. Cardinals definitely rescued Mr. Goldschmidt from that situation, but now you look to Andrew Kisner. Is he the next guy that could potentially fare as a an actual contributor at the catcher position over the course of a season in Major League Baseball? Could you use him as a trade chip, or would you rather have him in St. Louis? My view is I think Kiz has the juice. I think he could show you something if you gave him the chance. Would I be comfortable with him starting 140 games a year and, and having that Yadier Molina workload in 2022? No. But what you could do is you could have him as your primary. Let's say Yadi decides to hang him up. He wants to retire. You could have Kisner as your primary. I think you could go into 2022 and be comfortable with that. If that means 90 games, 100 games behind the dish, and you go out and sign somebody that knows coming in, their their ceiling is to see half the playing time. It won't be. It probably won't be that. That's their ultimate ceiling. Obviously, injuries happen, but bring somebody in that that can be that fit. Now, you're asking a lot of a front office to go out and find that guy, but I think it can be done. I think you can get creative at that position. And the more Kisner shows you that he can do, the less you have to rely on that veteran that you bring in on maybe a one-year deal. And Devon Herrera, maybe not too far away. I think the Cardinals, and again, you're going to get into arbitration and all these contract situations with Kisner before you know it. But I think a catching core that is headed up by Ivan Herrera and and, and uh, Andrew Kisner by 2023, maybe. I know I know Ivan Herrera is still a young guy. But by 23, I think that would be an ideal situation. And so maybe the Cardinals think, nah, we, we Herrera is going to be the guy. I just don't want to see them cast Kisner aside and just assuming that Herrera is the, the second coming. And, and, and again, I think the upside there for Herrera is high. But again, you still have to see it play out. And I don't want them to... I, I just don't want to see Andrew Kisner, who I think has a, has a chance to be somebody special at the Major League level. I don't want to see them cast him aside. Unless it's a trade where it's just an obvious fit where you're getting a Paul Goldschmidt-type player and you're not undervaluing what Andrew Kisner brings to the table. Because I like him. I think he's got something and I think he's got a future. But Yadier Molina is going to dictate and he's... And the Cardinals should want him. They should want him for as long as he wants to be around. But it is a little bit tricky with understanding the body breaks down as you get older. The offense, I don't think you can expect it over 162 from Yachty. I think he could play until he's 60 years old and still be able to come up with clutch hits. I don't know if the clutch gene is ever going to depart Yachty or Molina's game. He's just That's just the way he is wired and the way he is built. But certainly an interesting conversation is the Cardinals. I don't think they're looking to the future just yet. They're always looking ahead, but I don't think they're looking past 2021. I know the trade deadline is upon us, and we could be talking about that. But listen, I just don't think the Cardinals are going to make many moves. You know, Max Scherzer could be on the move, and, and it's one of those deals where I saw a tweet where eight teams were in on Max Scherzer. The Cardinals weren't one of them. My feeling on that is if the Cardinals are in on Max Scherzer, you're not going to know it until they're about to get him. But my read is that it would be a little surprising for the Cardinals to trade for Max Scherzer when given their modus operandi on how they're approaching the starting pitching market over the course of the last two months when they've really needed some starting help. And now suddenly they've got Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis both checking out in rehab assignments potentially just a couple of weeks away, two, three weeks. I think that, you know, you've got your five right there if everybody stays healthy. I think that's the way the Cardinals are going to bank it. But 
at the same time, I do find it worthwhile to discuss some of these future kind of consideration situations as the deadline approaches. That Trey Turner deal on Tuesday was wild because everybody thought he had been traded and he left the game after a good contribution. He scored a run, had a base hit, and it was, nope, he's not injured. And traded, turns out he tested positive for COVID. They found out in the middle of the game, and so that's why he was pulled from that game. But players are going to be flying around MLB over the next few days. How involved the Cardinals will be, I think, kind of remains to be seen. But listen, I could see a world in which the Cardinals, with what they have, and I did want to, before we moved on from the catcher conversation, Ivan Herrera is playing at A, definitely at 21 years old, younger than the average competition there. Hasn't really come on offensively, haven't seen him show much power, which throughout his career in the minors, he hasn't shown a ton of power. But just a 666 OPS so far with A Springfield. Got to consider he's playing players uh, competition generally a, a few years older than him and so it's still time for him to evolve and improve as his game develops I don't have any worries about him still has that ceiling to be a star at the big league level but moving on to just the general conversation about this deadline and how the Cardinals can approach it I think they're in a position to and again I don't want to alibi for the front office's sake the fact that, and it's always the meme, oh, it's just like making a trade when you get Jack Flaherty back or Miles Michaels back. I don't think that's what I'm saying here because I don't want to put, I don't want to say, well, the front office doesn't have to do anything because they've got these guys coming back. I still think there are ways the Cardinals, John Mozeliak and co. can improve this roster before July 30th is over. That being said, I could see where the Cardinals are in a position right now that if they stay healthy, and that's the biggest if, that's what teams like the Padres, they don't wait around to find out those answers because by the time you know them, it's too late. They go get Adam Frazier. They're probably going to make another trade before Friday is finished. They're making moves anticipating that sometimes if you're going for a World Series championship, you're going to have injuries along the way. Prepare ahead of those before they come up to bite you in the butt and you're not able to do anything about them in August and September. That's where I would like the Cardinals to be a little bit proactive. Their approach, though, has always been, well, that's complicated and we don't want to mortgage our future. I understand it. I don't think they should mortgage their future either. They've got some really bright young players in that Jordan Walker tier and that Mason Wynn tier and Tink Hentz and Nolan Gorman, Matthew Libertor. Like They've got some young guys that by 2024, you could have some real core players that emerge from the depths of this organization and the farm system. And the Cardinals, understandably, do not want to give up those guys. But I, I still think there are moves to be made. There is creativity to be shown. And so the front office could do that. But when you look at where the Cardinals are at right now, you know, eight games out, still in third place, just a touch behind the Reds, half game back of them after really struggling to be able to get that series over the weekend. They, they lose two out of three. Cardinals, though, seven of their last ten, they've won. The Reds have lost seven of their previous ten. The Cardinals are going to pass the Reds sooner rather than later, in my opinion. And then you're you're chasing down the Brewers, and you're, you're keeping an eye on the NL West because the Padres actually right now have a worse record, a worse winning percentage than the Brewers. And so that wild card is not totally out of the question. I do think the Padres are a better team than the Milwaukee Brewers, and ultimately the wild card is going to be tough to figure out unless one of those NL West teams just totally falls apart, which I do not anticipate. But the Cardinals are playing... Better baseball of late, and there's still enough time on the schedule, 61 games remaining, for the Cardinals to 
to rattle off uh, maybe a 10 above 500 over the rest of the way, win 87 or so games and sneak in. I don't know how it happens. It's not for them to worry about right now what the other teams are doing. When you get a chance to play those teams individually, absolutely, you want to take advantage. They've already played the Giants. I don't know if they have any more left against the Dodgers or Padres. I'm not really checking the schedule. But you know they're going to see more of the Brewers, and so that's kind of where you want to say, all right, we'll worry about what the Brewers are doing because we're facing them individually in this series. Let's go ahead and, and win the series. But otherwise, just win games. Cardinals, like we said, they've got one more against Cleveland. Coming up on Wednesday, it'll be an afternoon start. Then you've got the Twins over the weekend. That's a last-place team in the AL Central. I know you've got the Royals coming up. They've been struggling as well. That'll be next weekend. You've got really six games, I believe, two series against the Royals over the course of the next three weeks or so, one in KC, one in St. Louis. Take advantage of these games if you're the Cardinals. The last time we talked about take advantage of your schedule was coming up to the All-Star break a little bit before that at the end of June. The Cardinals didn't really do that, but now they're playing more like the Cardinals should be playing the way they expect themselves to conduct their business. And so there's a chance that the Cardinals can continue on a positive trajectory. They've got guys like Wayno, guys like Bader, and maybe a resurgence by Paul DeYoung to thank for what they were able to accomplish on Tuesday. But getting into it, and yeah, we can talk about some trade stuff. I'm thinking Thursday I'll still do a podcast when the Cardinals are off that day. We can talk about some of the rumors that are flying around because that'll be right the day before the trade deadline is happening, and so we'll have plenty to talk about on Thursday. Mark Feinson for MLB.com put out an article of crazy trade ideas, and if you saw my trade poll on Twitter at bshafer 12 I just borrowed from him, was an idea he put out in his article, and I thought, that's interesting. Do I think it's going to happen? No way. It's not even, I don't think it's remotely close to anything the Rockies would consider. The offer was Libertor and Lukenbaker for Trevor Story, and Herman Marquez. Marquez has a couple more years of team control following this one. Pretty affordable as well. Trevor Story, of course. Teammate of Arenado, you know, good buddies with Nolan. Shortstop. Isn't having a great season defensively or offensively, though. And I just don't think the, the Rockies, I mean, even if it was Libertor and Lucan for just Marquez, I don't know if the Rockies take that because that's a controllable starter who's shown the potential to be an ace, and he's done that in a little bit of a tougher place to pitch in Colorado. And that would be a locked in. Look, I love, I think Matthew Libertor is a great talent. He's got a good future. But for a guy that you know what he is right now, in Herman Marquez, I think you make that trade. Add in a couple of months of Trevor Story, whether you sign him or not, that is not the point, in my opinion. You take that trade. But, but those are the kinds of topics that we can save for Thursday. If you have some ideas getting into a little bit of silly stuff, silly season that you would like to discuss or hear discussed on B-Shape Daily, send me a DM at B-Shafer12 on Twitter. You can always jump on anchor.fm slash B-Shafer12 slash message. Leave me a voicemail. Let me know what you're thinking. I know I got one recently. Got to check the old voicemail box on Anchor. Maybe get that rolling for Thursday's episode of the pod. Appreciate you guys, as always, though, for listening, keeping up with B-Shafe Daily. If you're not a subscriber, I ask you, what are you waiting for? Because we've been rocking all season on B-Shape Daily. I want to have you on board so you can join the party with us on a regular basis. Would love to have you. You can subscribe at Spotify. That'll work. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Pretty much anywhere you're going to find podcasts, you can find B-Shape Daily. So don't wait another day. Get on board. Would love to have you along for the ride. Thank you all, though, for listening. As always... 
We're going to talk to you Wednesday night after a Cardinals Day game. It'll be Kwon Young Kim. Big opportunity for KK to continue his recent stretch of dominance for the Cardinals. We'll see how he fares, and then it'll be kind of a little bit of a fun episode on Thursday. I think we'll get one done. Talking trade deadline as the Cardinals have an off day on Thursday later this week. Appreciate you guys as always. We'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace.